Welcome to No More Risk Better, a Credit Sites podcast. I'm Winnie Caesar, the Global Head of Strategy. And I'm Zach Griffiths, the Credit Sites Senior Investment Grade Strategist. As strategists, we aim to make sense of the macro and the micro, highlighting opportunities and the risks facing the fixed income markets. As important as the macro call may be, we understand that credit investing at its core comes down to keen single name selection, and we at Credit Sites benefit from the expertise of our team of over 100 analysts across the US, Europe, and Asia. This podcast offers a look at the conversations that we have with our analysts on a regular basis. If you are an investment professional focused on the wide universe of fixed income, you'll want to give this podcast a listen. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Credit Sites podcast. This is Winnie Caesar, Global Head of Strategy here at Credit Sites. And today I have with me my colleague, the one and only Zach Griffiths, our head of U.S. investment grade and macro strategy. We recently released our final 2023 and preliminary full year 2024 outlooks. And Zach and I are going to discuss what's in them, the process, some of our views, some of the risks to our calls, and generally how we're feeling about the markets for the next 12 plus months. Zach, do you have your crystal ball at the ready today? Got the crystal ball here ready to go, Winnie. Looking forward to peering into it and sharing our views with our clients. I love the enthusiasm. So we are sticking with a lot of our views into the end of 2023 for U.S. corporate credit and investment grade and high yield. We recently came out with a call for tactical caution for a number of reasons. We hadn't seen the credit market really reacting to the move higher in yields, and that gave us a little bit of concern. Since we came out with that, spreads have widened out a bit, and we are not calling for a hard landing through year-end. In fact, we're saying that spreads should come back to our year-end 2023 forecast levels in our base case, which we haven't changed all year. It's 120 basis points in investment grade, 400 basis points in high yield. Now, I think the thing that has really caught us by surprise, though, is the recent bear steepener in the treasury market. And Zach, I'm going to bring you in now. Long-end yields, they have risen to levels not seen since 2007. We had that big root move on the back of the strong September jobs report. And now we're to only 30 basis points inverted on twos, tens. It seems like there's been a pretty strong acceptance of higher for longer as the new reality. What do you make of all this and where do we go from here? Yeah, Winnie, I I think the higher for longer narrative has clearly taken hold. And you can see that in the market pricing, looking at the OIS market for very far out FOMC meetings from now. I think the January 2025 FOMC OIS pricing has risen more than 50 basis points over the past couple of weeks. So we think that was a big part of what pushed yields not only at the front end, but really more so at the long end of the curve higher, producing that bear steepening. And when you look at just the breakout between real yields and inflation expectations, it's been on the real yield side, which is consistent with a higher policy rate for longer. And then the other big factor I think that's contributed to higher yields and a steeper curve are these concerns about the U.S. fiscal situation. And while that's a bit more difficult to quantify in terms of what that has meant in terms of either steepening or just the rise, let's say, in the 10-year part of the curve. If you look at 
various measures of the term premium. I tend to look at this one from the New York Fed. It's up over 80 basis points over the past month. And so I think you can think of at least a good chunk of that coming from monetary policy expectations and then some residual part of that coming from concerns around the U.S. fiscal situation and where we're going from here. And so we've been in the camp that yields will start to come back down as we are toward the end of the Fed policy tightening cycle. But we've been a little bit early to that call now that we've seen some rate stability I think some of the geopolitical concerns that are coming in are going to be certainly the path of least resistance when factoring those in are lower yields from where we are. And, and I think that period of a fast and furious move higher left people uncomfortable stepping in. But I think that could change, especially with a little bit more concern on the geopolitical side, maybe taking out some of the most hawkish possibilities from a global central bank perspective. So... If the path of least resistance, it feels like is a little bit lower now in the long end, you know, what does that mean for the Fed? You mentioned real yields as being quite elevated. And we do have this out of consensus call that the Fed is, first of all, done hiking. And second, we'll actually be able to start slowly cutting rates, you know, not chasing a recession, but kind of modestly easing. As early as the first quarter of 2024 versus what kind of midway through the year in terms of market pricing, what exactly are you looking for or expecting in the next three to six months that would support that view? So the big driver, Winnie, is going to be inflation. So from the very near term, the CPI report released on October 12th this week, that's going to be hugely important. We'll be focusing on Shelter costs, which are expected to continue moving lower, at least for now, looking at the lagged impact of changes in home prices and how that flows through to the CPI report. And I think the other big factor is core goods. We've seen deflation come back after a bit of a pop earlier this year. And we think that those are two key drivers of disinflation that allow the Fed to start to ease the policy rate back toward a more neutral level in a fashion that when you think about the real policy rate in terms of just taking that nominal rate and deflating it by something like the core PCE deflator on a year-over-year basis, the type of easing that we're expecting could begin in the first quarter is consistent with that holding steady as opposed to, to really cutting the policy rate in real terms. That's something that Chairman Paul has alluded to in more detail and more frequently in his public remarks. So we do think considering the policy rate from a real perspective is going to be a more appropriate way to think about it as we think of normalizing policy from here. And the other thing that certainly some conflicting indications from the labor market, we had a huge blowout on the non-farm payrolls print, at least in terms of the headline with broad-based gains there, but we did see more encouraging signs from the average hourly earnings front coming in lower than expected. The unemployment rate remained a little bit elevated relative to what we've gotten used to at at 3.8% with a steady labor force participation rate. Some other measures such as job openings and labor turnover survey showing a, a big pop in job openings and then initial jobless claims lower. We are going to need to see those also coming into a little bit better balance. And I'd say what that host of of indications has shown on that. I'd say the other big one heading into the, the November FOMC meeting is the employment cost index, which is released quarterly. That's one that the Fed relies on as a more holistic look at costs of weight of employment and wage pressure. And so I think if you continue to see that coming down, that's going to be important for the Fed feeling comfortable 
with this policy normalization, at least in terms of, of the nominal rate. So all about labor and inflation, still the big drivers on the data side of things. I'll be also very curious to see how Q3 bank earnings and then 2024 guidance goes. We are bumping into earnings season as well. And given that the regional banks and the you know challenges with some balance sheets became a big area of focus this year, I think that will continue to play a pretty significant role, not necessarily in dictating Fed policy, but a factor that they are probably considering. So talking about some of our scenarios for 2024, and I do want to highlight that these are preliminary scenarios. It feels pretty early in the year to be coming out with a full year 2024 outlook, but Christmas comes earlier every year and there seems to be a strategy race to the bottom in terms of who can get out their outlooks first. For U.S. markets, we are sticking with four main scenarios, but we've adjusted our credit sites view to reflect a pretty bullish outcome for corporate credit. We assign a 35% chance to this outcome and anticipate that spreads would go materially tighter over the course of the year as the Fed is able to start slowly cutting rates and that is ahead of what the market is pricing in. We also have a, a view that incorporates the Fed view. And this is very much predicated on the Fed's actual projections, their updated dot plot, economic forecasts. And this helped us to assess where we think credit spreads would presumably be in the Fed's base case scenario. In this scenario, yields do continue to rise for corporate credit as treasury yields hold at elevated levels, the Fed's on hold for an extended period. And we think that spreads would widen modestly as we would need to see some broader damage to the U.S. economy to slow down inflation. We assign a 25% probability to this scenario. So it is our second most likely scenario. Then we have two bear case scenarios. We've kept these the same as what we had for 2023. The first is stagflation. We're assigning a 20% probability to that scenario. And the scenario requires that the Fed continues to hike, driving further bear flattening in the U.S. Treasury yield curve and really pushes spreads wider, although at a somewhat capped level given the interplay between falling dollar prices and rising yields, especially for the investment-grade market, those higher quality borrowers and longer duration segments. And then finally, we have our hard landing. This is envisioned as a true liquidity-fueled crisis stemming from a major asset class global bursting, some sort of black swan event, or more significant slowdown in the economy that causes really material erosion to the labor market. In this scenario, we envision the Fed being the most proactive and loosening policy in an attempt to push liquidity back into the market. Now, given the Fed's recent hawkishness and rise in sovereign yields globally, we do have some concerns about a hard landing materializing and also assign a 20% probability to this scenario. I would say that the Fed's next couple of meetings in November and December of 2023 will probably help us think more about the potential for this hard landing really coming to a reality in 2024. So Zach, within those scenarios, how should we think about our ranges of spreads and treasury yields for investment grade and how they influence the potential for total and excess returns? Thanks, Winnie. So the short answer is it's a wide range of outcomes, certainly with respect to not only the policy rate, but 
the 10-year Treasury yield forecast we could see being as high as 6% in our stagflation scenario at the end of 2024, all the way down to 2.5% in our hard landing scenario when the Fed is cutting aggressively to deal with a fairly sharp recession. And so when we think about potential returns in those scenarios and what we think spreads would do, you know, in our two extreme bear scenarios, we have spreads going to 150 basis points in that stagflation scenario where rates are very high as we see a soft ceiling put on spreads, just given how high yields would go, how suppressed dollar prices would be in that outcome. We have spreads widening substantially in the hard landing scenario to 200 basis points as yields fall but you have the perception of credit risk, you know, resulting in much wider spreads. But when we look at these outcomes from a total return perspective, you're still looking at 10 plus percent in the hard landing scenario as that long duration and, and huge move in treasury yields offsets the widening in spread. Still a difficult excess return story with yields or credit returning negative three and a half percent on an excess return basis. Uh, excess returns are a little bit more insulated in that stagflation scenario as we don't have spreads widening as much, but that's a terrible outcome from a total return perspective with an 8.8% expected drop. Now, in our two more optimistic scenarios, the credit sites view and, and the Fed speak view, starting with credit sites, we look for spreads to continue narrowing modestly to 100 basis points at year end 2024. And that produces excess returns of 2.4% and a total return of 9%. So certainly very attractive there. A little bit less attractive, but still very solid. In the Fed speak view, we have spread starting to widen a little bit by year end at 130 basis points for investment grade. That still produces a positive excess return of 0.6% and a total return of 0.5%. And so when we kind of think about all of these scenarios and probability weight them, it certainly still looks favorable from a total return perspective, but perhaps less of a home run from an excess return perspective. And so I, I think kind of gaming out all of these scenarios and seeing our, our fairly balanced probability weighting to each indicates how difficult it is to have a lot of confidence in any one single forecast at this point. But we think providing this framework and having these numbers to guide us when we think about not only what client we're talking to, what kind of parameters they have, and, and perhaps some of their nuanced beliefs in terms of the economy relative to what we have priced in, it really gives us a pretty good roadmap to frame up very helpful discussions for a wide array of investors. So, Zach, how high is your conviction? What do you think about our credit sites view? 35% feel good to you? 35% feels right. And obviously, that's not a huge majority by any stretch of the imagination. But I think that if we can kind of get through the next couple of months, maybe some of these more pronounced macro volatility driving events, such as the government shutdown at the end of this year, I'm not really going to weigh in too much on this situation in Israel and Gaza, but that's obviously awful from a humanitarian perspective and is going to probably contribute to more jittery and volatile markets overall. And so I think factoring all these things in, 35% feels about right in terms of probability waiting for that credit site scenario. And it's interesting, we're already seeing Fed policymakers change their tune a fair bit, even from a couple of weeks ago, 
acknowledging that the big move in yields and bear steepening of the curve is probably worth as much as one full 25 basis point hike. And if you were in the camp that maybe we needed one more to match the Fed's dot plot call for the end of 2023, maybe that's already occurred with the move-in rates we've gotten. And so if, if we really shift to a more dovish stance or more balanced, at least from many of these policymakers, I, I feel good about this credit sites view scenario that we've laid out. Plus, we have the wiggle room to readjust our forecasts coming in December. So we feel good for now. We'll see what happens in the rest of October and November. A lot so can change. A right. lot. It, it feels like minute by minute things are changing. So I just want to touch quickly on the high yield and leveraged loan markets. And in our credit sites view, which is pretty bullish, high yield total return gains are quite solid in the low double digit area around 11%. And I would also highlight that if the kind of broader market trajectory follows our forecast, then you actually get some pretty decent high yield total returns pulled forward into 2023 as well. So that 11% could be a bit higher low, depending on when the treasury environment starts to really leg lower and sustain that low lower. We would anticipate that high yield outperforms leverage loan in our credit sites view. Loans have posted almost 10% year-to-date total returns in 2023, and that marks the third consecutive year that the loan market is outperforming the high yield bond market on a total return basis. We also see positive total returns for high yield in our FedSpeak view, albeit at a lower level, call it low to mid single digits. And our hard landing, similarly, as that dramatic fall in rates actually more than fully offsets the move wider in credit spreads. Now, for leveraged loans, we've had a more cautious view on fundamentals anticipating rising default rates for that market. Looking ahead, the starting base rates are quite attractive and loan indices are still trading at a reasonable discount to par around the $95 level. And the carry alone associated with the loan index is pretty attractive, but we do expect a more even performance across loans and bonds in 2024 with that potential for bonds to edge out loans in our credit sites view. Like Zach mentioned, that stagflation scenario, definitely the worst for high yield markets. It would be interesting to see how loans would perform in that. Given that loans have managed to hold in through this elevated inflation and rates environment, one would maybe think that they could, you know, make it a fourth year in a row. I probably would take the other side of that. If the view is stagflation, that could get very tricky for the leverage loan market, especially those single B and triple C issuers. So Zach, let's talk a little bit about fundamentals. When we were going into our preliminary outlook for 2024, we did talk to our credit sites analyst teams in the U.S., London, and Singapore. And I initially thought that we would have a pretty bearish view. It feels like we had some good calls this year for a bumpy landing, which was more constructive than a lot of people had anticipated. Credit spreads have done well this year. Treasury yields are basically at levels that most people thought would break the U.S. economy, and growth has been way stronger than anticipated, both by the market and by us. It did seem like something would have to give. But as we started to really dig into the economic fundamentals, the health of corporate balance sheets, and those conversations with analysts, 
they had a much sunnier view than we had anticipated, especially on some key sectors like financials and consumer discretionary. And we also are optimistic that some of the industrial headwinds that we've seen will start to abate in 2024. And we are starting to see a little bit of that green shoots in the U.S. economic data. Now, I don't think it's going to be a straight line to finding an equilibrium, especially for retail and consumer goods where inflation and spending trends are still a bit mixed or even headwinds. But overall, we did come away with a more optimistic view for next year than I had initially expected. So, Zach, for U.S. corporate credit, fundamentals, they've eroded a bit from that recent low in leverage and peak in interest coverage, but cash balances seem pretty good so far. And management teams are very focused on maintaining those strong balance sheets. Where do you think the fundamentals are going over the next 12 months? Yeah, I think you kind of nailed it, Winnie. When we look at the balance of risk to the fundamental picture, we expect them to generally remain solid coming into and through 2024 as elevated cash balances give management teams that we think will be more focused on managing their leverage levels and with elevated cash balances have more levers to pull in terms of managing that. You know, certainly expecting there to be continued modest deterioration of interest coverage ratios as we are expecting maturities to pick up in 2024 and 2025. And so you're going to have more debt refinanced at these higher rates, even if things are starting to normalize, let's say in the second half or beginning in the second quarter of next year, you're still looking at higher coupons than what we've certainly had for companies that were able to term out into the 2024 and 2025 with issuance back in 2020 and 2021. And so when we think about it on balance and our expectation for the U.S. economy to remain in expansionary territory, just not to the same degree that we saw in 2023, we think it's a recipe for fundamentals, especially for the more highly rated companies to remain solid in 2024 and on its own, not really justify any material spread widening from a broader credit risk perspective. So you did briefly mention kind of the issuance outlook. How does fundamental and issuance intersect in 2024? You know, not material spread widening, but some fundamental erosion. How are you thinking about the the level of new issue volume for 2024 and any impact on the broader market? Yeah, so the outlook for in our preliminary forecast for issuance in 2024 is 1.2 trillion is the midpoint for our investment grade total. So a modest uptick from what we're expecting the total to be this year. It seems like the primary market is tracking toward the upper end of our forecast range of around 1.1 trillion. So a, a modest pickup and again that is kind of driven by uh pickup in refinancing as we do see slightly higher maturities in 2024 and 2025, which we think will largely have to get addressed throughout this year. You do have some modest acceleration in financials issuance we have priced into that forecast and some incremental M&A activity, and perhaps that could be dampened by the, the most recent move in rates, especially if we remain around these levels a little bit higher than we currently anticipate. Let's say the Fed our Fed forecast is a little bit too optimistic on the dovish side and, and they remain higher for longer. Maybe that takes a little bit of a ding. And so when we think about the the risk to that forecast, they seem somewhat balanced. And so 
again, I think the the modest uptick in issuance coupled with very manageable and, and maybe not even fully noticeable deterioration in certain measures of operating performance and fundamentals, you know, we see that as kind of a recipe for a continued grind tighter in spreads as, as we think demand will be out there. I'd say one thing that we've been pointing out as more of a risk to the broader investment grade supply and demand dynamic is rising treasury issuance. I think that played a role in, let's say, the August to September increase in treasury yields. And so I, I think when we look at the tick data, foreign flows are are still solid and, and we still see some pretty clear structural need for high quality fixed income, whether that be corporates or treasuries. And so we expect that to be digested fairly well. It also seems like based on treasuries, most recent announcements of bill supply, they are trying to lean more heavily on that bill market that has enjoyed very strong demand with money market mutual fund assets rising again to even higher levels, setting new highs, uh, all-time highs. And so I think Treasury is actively trying to manage that, but it is a risk in terms of the overall duration supply that we see in 2024. But I would highlight that lower rated loan fundamentals, those single Bs and triple Cs that I mentioned earlier, they're still materially worse than the high yield market where leverage points and interest coverage levels are much healthier overall. One thing that I have found interesting in this cycle is default rates in high yield and leveraged loans. So according to Fitch ratings, the trailing 12-month default rate for the leveraged loan market ended September at 2.8%, which is actually a little bit lower than the 3% in August, but you know almost double the year-end 2023 levels of 1.6%. Now, by comparison, high yield bond defaults started a bit earlier, and the absolute level of high yield bond defaults are still a little bit lower than the leveraged loan market, which is very surprising. Historically, the leveraged loan market default rate has been below that of high yield bonds. But like I said, there's been that clear erosion in fundamentals in the leveraged loan market and some of the sector concentrations like technology, which has a very high concentration in loans relative to high yield, has been pretty challenging to the loan market overall. So in general, we do have a pretty constructive view on high yield spreads and high yield fundamentals, a little bit more caution on the loan side of things. But if the Fed is able to start slowly marching towards a more neutral policy, then that should be pretty helpful to loan fundamentals, especially for interest coverage. So Zach, let's wind it down here. And, you know, as strategists and analysts, we always have to leave people with something to worry about. That is basically our job description. So what is on your radar in terms of a big risk in the near term or over the course of 2024? And what would really make you change your forecast? So the two big dates that pop into my mind are the November 1st. That's a double whammy with the Treasury refunding announcement in the morning and the FOMC meeting in the afternoon. I'd say, again, keeping an eye on if coupon supply increases are larger than expected the way they were in August. And then it seems like the Fed will be on pause, but it's definitely a non-zero probability that they could decide to hike again. In November, then the government shutdown that could begin on November 17th. I actually recorded a separate podcast with one of our analysts from BMI, and, and his base case scenario is that we go into that government shutdown with kind of an effective new deadline of, of trying to e either pass another continuing resolution or perhaps the appropriation bills 
on J January 1st. Otherwise, the 1% cut across the board from the Fiscal Responsibility Act goes into play. So I think those are the two big dates. I, you know, Obviously, non-farm payrolls and CPI releases from here on are going to be key, but those are kind of the two big ones over the next few months. And then in terms of what could happen in 2024, you know, I think if our hard landing scenario were to become more clear, maybe the Fed gets even more aggressive as uh, some of the more recent geopolitical issues result in much higher oil prices and that affecting inflation concerns from a, a broader consumer prices perspective. That's something that uh, I'd certainly be keeping an eye on and something that's really only come to light as a new risk over the past couple of days. Thank you for that. I would say that I'm focused on Tuesday, November 5th, 2024, U.S. presidential elections. It's going to be a long haul between now and then. All right, Zach, as always, it was a pleasure discussing outlooks with you, which we do pretty much all day, every day. Thank you all for listening and joining the Credit Sites podcast. If you have any follow-up questions for me or Zach, you can always find us on creditsites.com using that Ask an Analyst function. Good luck to everyone in the last few months of the year and into 2024. Credit Sites Disclaimer. All price references correspond to the date of this recording. This podcast should not be copied, distributed, or reproduced in whole or in part. Neither Credit Sites nor its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of any information contained in this podcast. Credit Sites is not providing investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, is not providing research or making any recommendations, nor is Credit Sites offering or soliciting any transaction with respect to the purchase or sale of any security. The receipt by this listener of this podcast is not the giving of advice by Credit Sites or its affiliates.